Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair. And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to the WKRP cast. We've got another Herb-centric episode. Donna, what's our episode? We're talking about put up or shut up. The air date was the 21st of January, 1980, written by Blake Hunter, Steve Marshall, and Stephen Campman. The story editors were David Gunselman, Steve Marshall, Stephen Campman, and P.J. Tarakvi. The executive story consultant was Blake Hunter. It was directed by Will McKenzie. Herb's wife is out of town for 10 days. Herb decides this is the time to get Jennifer to finally go out with him. When Jennifer finds out she must deal with Herb for 10 days, she tells Bailey she can't make it. Bailey gives Jennifer some advice that sounds like a good plan. But will it work? Les overhears Jennifer's and Bailey's plan, and he tells Herb. With this news, Herb decides He's got to go for it now. Not sure why it took two story editors and an executive story consultant to write this one, but we do have three of them involved. And you may have caught a familiar name in the credits for this one. This is the very last WKRP episode where Bill Dial gets any kind of a credit. He's listed as producer on this one. You might remember Bill got his last writing credit on the episode about the book and the station ratings called Baby If You've Ever Wondered. We think that's the script where Hugh and Bill had their epic argument that ended in a whiskey glass being thrown at Hugh's head. This episode was the one shot just before Baby If You've Ever Wondered. All right, let's get into the episode. We start out in the lobby where Art and Les are arriving at the same time for work. Bailey's over at the filing cabinets and Jennifer is at her desk. Morning, Jennifer. Oh, good morning, Les, Mr. Carlson. Morning. Les asks if his package has arrived yet. It has not. Gee willikers. Les heads back to the bullpen. Jennifer then hands Art his latest copy of Ohio Fisherman Magazine. Oh, boy. <laughs> Art heads into his office telling Jennifer he doesn't want to be disturbed. So are we watching KRP or an episode of Leave it to Beaver or Gosh. something with Gee Willikers? Golly. Oh, boy. <laughs> so we don't have a ton of outside references in this episode, which is why we decided to track down G. Willikers. It's an American phrase that first appeared in print in the mid-1800s. For the most part, any exclamation that starts with the letter G, the word G-E-E, or a G sound, is a swearing substitute. The very puritanical U.S. of the 1800s was sensitive to any swearing that took the Lord's name in vain. Saying God or Jesus as an interjection was blasphemy and, even worse, socially unacceptable. The workaround was to create a bunch of nonsense words, many using the G sound for Jesus or starting with the letter G as a substitute for God. 
Gosh, golly, and goodness are all acceptable substitutes for God as an interjection. So where does the willikers come from? It's a bit of a mystery, but it might have been a simplified version of Jerusalem, which was popular about the same time G. Willikers first appeared in print. G. Whiz is thought to be a simplified version of G. Willikers. We hear Herb arriving for work before we can see him. If you like my body and you think I'm sexy. He must be in a great mood. He's singing, Do You Think I'm Sexy? at the top of his lungs. He enters the lobby and strikes a pose, pointing at Jennifer as he continues singing. Come on, baby, let me know. The song, Do You Think I'm Sexy? is the incredibly narcissistic track by British singer Rod Stewart. It was a huge number one in the U.S. in 1979. It spent four weeks at the top of the Hot 100 in February and was listed as the fourth biggest U.S. single of the year by Billboard. The song was a blatant disco track, and many Stewart fans ripped him for it. He'd built his career on a blues-oriented foundation. To his longtime fans, this track was a sellout. Even though it became a club mainstay, Stewart has always said the song was a spoof of disco. Stewart donated all of the royalties from the song to UNICEF, the United Nations Children's Fund. Rolling Stone magazine has ranked Do You Think I'm Sexy as number 308 on its list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. And have you checked Herb? I think it's It's time. time. Herb Darling, fashion alert. We've seen this jacket before. The dark red, white, and blue checked that we've referred to as the picnic tablecloth jacket. Now he has paired it with the Dijon (laughs) mustard-colored pants that he's worn before as well. He has on a white dress shirt and a tie with a silver background and, like, kaleidoscope patterns all over it. I like how you said he has paired it with as though he chose it. Like there was thought involved in putting <laughs> this outfit together. Can you imagine going into his closet in his dressing room and <laughs> you'd be bombarded by all this color and design and ah! I sometimes think Herb gets dressed in the dark, too. <laughs> so Herb tosses his coat over his shoulder and says, Morning, gals. Herb struts over to Jennifer's desk and has a seat on the edge of it. Jennifer is ready and waiting for Herb's usual morning come online. How's this sound? A couple of shooters down at the cricket, then dinner. Buzz off, Herb. Don't like that? Herb heads to the other side of Jennifer and tries again. Hop into a pair of black leather skin tights and we go bowling in Kentucky. I love getting physical with you. And Jennifer tells him to get lost, but he tries again. Body painting classes at the university. I paint you, you paint me, and it's all very respectable. Jennifer is confused about what is happening. Usually you come in, you ask me to dinner, I say buzz off, you say okay fine, and that's it. Is there something wrong? Herb stands up, smiling, and tells her that nothing is wrong. He then drops the bomb. Lucille has taken the kids to her mother's, and for the next 10 days, Huggable Herb is on the loose and cruising. (laughs) Huggable Herb. (laughs) Jennifer tells him to get out. Herb does not look discouraged at all. I'm gone, Jenny Pooh, but I'll be back. 
tossing his coat over his shoulder, Herb leaves, heads out the door to the bullpen. And here we have a difference between what aired originally in 1980 and what Shout Factory could license. They cut out a song, but you would never know it. In this scene, when Herb turns to head out of the lobby, he sings. Or at least he did when the episode originally aired in 1980. He turned away from Jennifer and sang a snippet of Our Day Will Come. Here's the original clip from the Big D, Dale Kovar's recreated disc. Out. I'm gone, Jenny Pooh, but I'll be back. <laughs> Our day will come. And we'll have everything. Is so degrading. Shout Factory couldn't clear Our Day Will Come, even though it's not an original recording. The licensing is about the song, not about who sings it. The Shout Factory workaround is to just mute it. Here is what you get on the Shout Factory discs. You'll hear Herb's line, no singing, then a dubbed voice that says, hey babe, to Bailey. It's definitely not Frank Bonner's voice. Check it out. Here's the Shout Factory edit. Out. I'm gone, Jenny Pooh, but I'll be back. <laughs> Hi, babe. That is so degrading. Our Day Will Come is another number one. Herb is only singing the hits this morning. This single was recorded for Cap Records in December of 1962, by new R&B group Ruby and the Romantics. Our day will come And we'll have everything Al Stanton from Cap had the group cut two versions of the song. One was a standard mid-tempo arrangement. The other had a bossa nova beat with a killer Hammond organ solo. Bossa Nova arrangement was selected for release. The single hit number one in March of 1963. Both Frankie Valli and Amy Winehouse have had hits with remakes of Our Day Will Come. Jennifer is left sitting at her desk looking terrified. <laughs> Bailey tells Jennifer that Herb's behavior is so degrading, and Jennifer is doing that wide popped eyes where you can see the whites all the way around him. <laughs> she asks Jennifer how she can stand for it. Jennifer's eyes keep popping out of her head as she stares forward. Ten days. I wouldn't stand for it. I can't do 10 days. She looks like she is in shock. Bailey slams the filing cabinet drawer shut and walks over to Jennifer. Just once. What do you suppose would happen if you said yes to Herb? This snaps Jennifer back to reality. Bailey? <laughs> Nothing would happen. Bailey, this is Herb Tarlick. Who is all show and no go. Say... Yes. <laughs> Bailey goes on to explain that as soon as the woman gets a little bit aggressive, the man starts running. Bailey, I couldn't stand it if everybody around here thought Herb and I were... <laughs> it cracks me up how Lonnie Anderson, who is so pretty, can do such a good job making her face ugly with those... <laughs> she twists her face around and her lips. It's great. Well, that face that she makes when she says... 
if everyone around here thought that Herb and I were. Yeah. It reminds me of the face our cat Wiley used to make before he coughed up a hairball. I mean, that's, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a great face. So Bailey puts her arm around Jennifer and continues to advise. You call a bluff's bluff and he crumbles. I've done it a dozen times. Bailey tells her it can't fail. I'm a little questioning as to Bailey pulling this off a dozen times. Bailey is thrilled that Jennifer is going to do it. You take it to the limit and you will crush that little weasel spirit. You will break his back. You will stomp him up and down and around and... Bailey, I get it. (laughs) Bailey tells Jennifer that she has to go water her plants now and walks out the door. That is our cold open and we're into our theme song. WKRP in Cincinnati. We come back to the bullpen and it's later that day. Herb and Les are at their desks. And Jennifer enters with the mail. Mail call. She heads over to Les with a package. Battle Creek, Michigan, Les. (laughs) Smiling, Les takes the package. It's my sneaky snooper. It's a non-electronic listening device. Unimpressed, Jennifer continues delivering the mail. You might be wondering why Battle Creek got a laugh. Battle Creek, Michigan is home to the breakfast cereal manufacturers Kellogg's, Post, and Ralston. It's been known as Cereal City going back to 1910. Cereal companies are famous for putting prizes in the box, but some of the bigger prizes required you to send in box tops or proofs of purchase from multiple boxes. Les's sneaky snooper seems to be a kid's cereal prize coming to him all the way from Battle Creek. And I think that's where I got my sea monkeys when I was little. Quite possibly. We had to send in box tops to get those little babies. Jennifer calls Johnny's name and walks towards the DJ's desk. There's nobody there. We see a hand pop up from under the desk. Jennifer puts a piece of mail into the hand and it disappears, only to pop back up and toss the piece of mail onto the desk. Jennifer goes on over to Herb's desk and puts a small pile of mail in front of him. Thanks, gorgeous. She then walks around behind him. As he begins to look through his mail, Jennifer plays with his hair a little bit. My pleasure. Before walking away, Herb is frozen for a bit, then turns to watch Jennifer walk out of the bullpen. It looks like it might be working. Meanwhile, Les is excitedly opening his package. Look, Herb. Look. It's a jelly jar, Les. (laughs) Of course, that's the whole point. It's disguised to look like a jelly jar. But it comes with a full set of operating instructions, and it's guaranteed. Herb takes the instructions and begins to read them aloud. Les is anxiously looking over Herb's shoulder as he extends the antenna on his sneaky snooper. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nesman. This is the Les Nesman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nesman. Right forearm. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nesman. There are three steps to using the Sneaky Snooper. Place next to wall. Put ear on Sneaky Snooper. Step three, listen. (laughs) You've been had again, Les. Les tells Herb that he can laugh if he wants to. But I'll bring back an exclusive with this baby. (laughs) 
Atlas goes out the door. Andy enters the bullpen and asks Herb if he's seen Johnny. Herb points to the DJ desk. I love how Andy doesn't even question this. He knows what Herb means. Andy knocks on the desk and calls out Johnny's name, asking if he's busy. In a sec. Andy pulls up a chair and sits down. We see a hand come up from under the desk now holding the phone receiver. It puts the receiver back on the base, and then Johnny's head pops up. Another one of those, uh, another one of those days, huh? Uh, you uh, see anybody over there in that corner? <laughs> nope. Neither do I. <laughs> Just testing you. <laughs> Guess it's a good thing nobody's there. <laughs> Andy asks Johnny if he's okay. Johnny's lying on the floor, studying his hand. Yeah, sure, fine. No, something weird is happening. Johnny is inspecting his right hand, looking closely at it. Did you ever really get into your hand, man? I mean, all those lines. It's like a, a tiny expressway. Your thumb is an off-ramp. Andy begins looking closely at his own hand. Johnny looks at Andy and asks him what he wants. Uh, I don't know anymore. <laughs> Johnny rubs off. <laughs> so they aren't saying it, but Johnny seems to be experiencing what is commonly known as an acid flashback. It's a phenomenon where past users of LSD or other hallucinogenics experience recurring effects months or sometimes even years after the last time they've used. Now, some claim it's like going into a full trip with no warning. Johnny is right about his weird hand. Most people who have reported acid flashbacks say they usually affect visual perception in some weird ways. There is an argument in the medical community as to whether acid flashbacks are even real, or if they are something imagined. Psychiatrists reported encountering the same symptoms in multiple patients so often they knew there had to be an underlying cause. In 1986, the American Psychiatric Association said it is a real phenomena. They laid out a diagnostic criteria and even gave it a name, Hallucinogenic Persisting Perception Disorder, or HPPD. Andy stands up and starts to walk out of the bullpen, but he's a little confused. He stops, he looks around, he looks at his hand again. Jennifer enters with the coffee pot and says, Hi. What? Hi. Thank you. Hi should not be confusing. Andy heads back to his office. Jennifer walks over to Herb's desk and asks him if he'd like more coffee. Surely. What's wrong? You never brought me coffee before. Smiling and looking Herb in the eyes, Jennifer responds. There are all sorts of things I've never done for you before. Hearing this, we see Johnny's head slowly peek up from behind the DJ desk. <laughs> there is so much great physical comedy in this episode. We got Johnny under the desk. We got Herb a little later. So <laughs> Jennifer's leaving the bullpen when Herb jumps up from his desk and heads over to stop her. He feels this is the time to ask her out for a date. I know a classy little Polynesian restaurant that puts umbrellas in your drinks. <laughs> Interested? You can take them home with you. Interested? I'd love it. Jennifer walks out, leaving Herb staring after her through the glass door. We go to Carlson's office, and Johnny is lying on the couch. Mr. Carlson is at his desk playing cards. 
Johnny is telling Mr. Carlson about having flashbacks. He tells Carlson that anything can trigger it. This time, I think it was seeing Sammy Davis Jr. weep on TV as he accepted the Disco Lifestyle Award. <laughs> and my reaction to that was, hold on, the what? We immediately had to track this down. First off, it's real. There really and truly was a Disco Lifestyle Award presented to Sammy Davis Jr. in August of 1979. There's not a lot of information out there about this, but it appears the Disco Lifestyle Award was just one part of the gala Disco Music Awards show. Much like the American Music Awards or the Country Music Awards, the AMAs and the CMAs, the DMAs were specifically about disco. The awards were only for disco songs with special recognition for things like 12-inch versions and club mixes. We got a lot of neon, gold lame, and roller skates in the production stills. It gets even weirder. The DMAs were produced and hosted by Wolfman Jack. <laughs> the young, hip presenters included Scott Bayo, Barbie Benton, and Adrienne Barbeau. A parade of current music, TV, and sports stars seemed to round out the evening. The culmination of the festivities was the presentation to a tearful Sammy Davis Jr. recognizing his obvious disco lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) And if you missed the Disco Music Awards in 1979, you missed the Disco Music Awards. Much like disco itself, nobody was interested in the DMAs once we'd moved into the 1980s. So disco lifestyle, shag carpeting and... I don't know. uh, He... Gets up and puts on roller skates in the morning. Pants, suits, I don't know. Jennifer enters the office. She walks over to Carlson's desk and tosses a magazine onto it. Here. Herb rushes in. Big guy. Jennifer turns and she's right in front of Herb. Hello, Hunk. Jennifer goes on out the door, giving Herb's rear end a couple of pats as she passes, making the clicking noise with her mouth. When she first comes in, we can see how this is really wearing on her. But then when she puts it on, she is really following Bailey's advice, getting super aggressive. And Herb is speechless. He's frozen in place. Oh, man. (laughs) We move into the bullpen where Venus is sitting at the DJ's desk looking through his little black book, which turns out to be more of a black binder. Aaron, she loves me. She's not ready for the majors yet. (laughs) He rips out the page and tosses it to the floor. Venus continues looking through the book, ripping out pages as Herb enters. And it must be a new day because... It's time! Herb Darlick, fashion alert. Again, we now see Herb wearing plaid, burnt orange, black, and white with lines of green running through suit jacket and matching pants with the same plaid pattern, a white dress shirt, burnt orange tie with diagonal silver stripes, and his signature white belt and white shoes. Herb walks up to Venus, asking him what's happening. Is that Warren Beatty or Herb Tarlick I see there, huh? It's a suit, right? Which brings us to... The line of the episode. Somewhere there's a Volkswagen without seat covers. (laughs) (laughs) Now, a note about this line. 
This is one of those top 10 KRP lines. It's a hilarious and often quoted line from the show. At the time, Volkswagen was trying to prop up sales of the bug, which was eventually discontinued in the U.S. in 1979. One of the things they tried were some pretty wild plaid seat cover options. If you look up any of those designs from the late 70s, you can see how much they do look like Herb's suit. There is an urban legend out there saying that Herb actually had a suit made from Volkswagen seat cover material. As great a story as that is, we can't find any proof it's real. We even talked to Alan's brother, who is a Volkswagen aficionado and in the automotive upholstery business. He said he's never heard of an actual suit being made from Volkswagen material. We also couldn't find any solid information online aside from those I heard kind of comments. Venus said Herb was looking like Warren Beatty. These days, you might know Warren Beatty as Annette Benning's cute but slightly doddering husband who used to be in the movies. In the 1970s, Warren Beatty was the movies. Just ask him. Beatty produced, co-wrote, and starred in 1975 Shampoo. In 1978, he co-directed and starred in Heaven Can Wait. That film garnered nine Academy Awards. Beatty himself has been nominated for a total of 15 Academy Awards. Beatty had quite the reputation as a narcissistic womanizer up until his 1992 marriage to Binning. How narcissistic? Carly Simon has said the second verse of her 1972 hit, You're So Vain, was about Beatty. Beatty has claimed on multiple occasions he believes the entire song is about him. Venus congratulates Herb on his success in getting a date with Jennifer. You're going out with the queen, the head mama. (laughs) Herb asks Venus how he knew about it, and Venus tells him that Bailey said something. He then says he bets Herb's scared. You don't know me very well, do you, Trap? Now, I was a little bothered at first by Venus being so cavalier about Herb cheating on his wife. And then it dawned on me, he found out from Bailey. I think so. Bailey must have let Venus in on the plan, so now he's just kind of messing with Herb. Yeah, it makes it funny when you know that Venus is just egging him on instead of Venus just, like, totally throwing away Herb's family like that. He seemed really well almost excited about Herb going out and cheating on Lucille. I, I also think Venus thinks there's no way he's going to go through with this. Yeah, and he's just helping the plan along. I think he's supporting (laughs) Bailey and Jennifer in just driving her to the extreme. Picking up the phone, Venus continues. I thought you'd be worried about your uh, limitations. Herb puts a bookmark in what appears to be a yearbook. In one smooth move, Herb gets up from his chair, clears off the corner of the DJ desk, sits down on it, and pushes the disconnect button on the phone, just as Venus is beginning to talk to a young woman. Hey, baby, this is... (laughs) What do you mean, limitations? That's when the door from the hallway opens and Les sticks his head in with a goofy grin on his face. He's holding his (laughs) sneaky snooper in his hand. I'll tell you what he means, Herb. Les has been putting the sneaky snooper to use. Les asks Herb if he's nervous, and Herb admits he may be just... A little. I'm sure you've been uh, nervous on dates before, right? 
Never any problems, never any complaints. Les pulls out the antenna on his sneaky snooper so that it is sticking straight up as he sits on the couch, holding the sneaky snooper in his lap. And I'm sorry, but that is a very (laughs) phallic-looking antenna Mr. Nesman has there sticking up out of his lap. And he knows it. Oh, of course he knows it. Of course, I'm not a married man with a lovely wife and two wonderful children who look to their father for moral guidance and the preservation of the family unit as we know it. Les is trying to make Herb think twice about his date with Jennifer. Herb is sticking to his plans. Herb walks over to the couch and bends down to talk to Les. He pushes the antenna of the sneaky snooper down. I have wrestled with my demons. I have had my sleepless nights. I have checked my own heart of darkness. And the bottom line is, pal... I gotta do it. Keeping that theme going with the sneaky snooper antenna there. <laughs> Push that out of the way. We move into the lobby where Bailey is sitting at Jennifer's desk. Jennifer comes in the door that leads to the bullpen and seems a little panicked. I'm not going out with him. Bailey, this isn't working. Why isn't this working? Jennifer tells Bailey Herb is expecting her to go out with him. Well, I thought it would work. It's not working. Jennifer tells Bailey she she told her it had worked for her a dozen times. Did I say that? Well, maybe it wasn't a dozen. I can't remember exact numbers, but I heard it worked. And I thought you shouldn't be trusting Bailey with that dozen times thing. So Jennifer tells Bailey this is her reputation they're toying with here, her life, her sanity. It will work. Trust me, you just have to go all the way. Bailey tells her that this is no time to retreat. It's time to attack. Jennifer moves to Bailey, putting her hands on her shoulders. Bailey, if this doesn't work. And Herb walks into the lobby. Why, we'll just try sweeping it up here and then... (laughs) Jennifer begins acting as if she's working on a hairstyle for Bailey, and Bailey grabs a little compact mirror and looks in it. They both wave to Herb as he walks out of the lobby. Les is at his desk reading a newspaper while his ear is up to his sneaky snooper, and he's got the sneaky snooper pressed between his head and the wall as Herb is on the phone talking to Lucille. Give uh, Bunny and little Herb my love tonight when you tuck him in. Now, what is Les listening to Yeah, we, when we noticed he was doing that with the sneaky snooper, we're like, isn't that an outside wall? There's nothing on the other side. He's hearing traffic noises or something. <laughs> so Herb is finishing up his call to Lucille. Lucille, Lucille, I love you. I really do. Herb hangs up the phone, looks at Les, and then gets up to leave gonna be some night tonight history is going to be made tomorrow i am a legend herb's trying to get himself fired up he gets his coat from the coat tree and he drapes it over his arm but he stands there for a bit and he looks over at les and man you can see the foundation crumbling on herb's face he's trying to get himself fired up but the bravado isn't working. I can't do it, Les. I think that phone call got to him. Yeah. Les looks at Herb with a grin, taking his ear off the sneaky snooper. Yes, you can. Herb walks over toward Les. He's confused. I know something you don't know, but you probably wouldn't be interested since I found it out with my sneaky snooper. Herb asks him what it is. Les explains Jennifer is bluffing. This afternoon, I overheard Jennifer tell Bailey she had no intention of seeing your date through to its logical albeit slightly unseemly, conclusion. Herb tells Les that he doesn't believe him. Uh Ah, Les goes on to tell Herb that Jennifer intends to see to it 
he's the one who backs down. Herb flips his coat around, and he puts it over his shoulders like a cape. Well, I got news for the little blonde lady up front. (laughs) H.T. is in for the duration. H.T. is in. Herb pulls up his (laughs) extension mirror and looks admirably at his reflection. Now we're at Jennifer's apartment. Tonight is the night. Jennifer's dressed in a long, dark blue formal strapless pantsuit with a flowing overlay. Her doorbell, fly me to the moon sounds, and she goes to answer it. She opens the door to find Herb in a double-breasted gray coat, leaning up against the door jamb. Hello? There's a bottle of wine in his other hand. Hi, Herb. Won't you come in? I'd love to come in, Jennifer. Herb, knowing the plan, he's ready to play this evening out. Herb coolly walks in, steps down from the entry, and looks around the apartment. He turns back towards Jennifer, and he's suddenly face to breast with her. This causes him to falter. Even though he knows this night isn't really going anywhere, he's still having trouble catching his breath. Jennifer sees the wine. Is that wine? Bag of wine (laughs) Bag of wine Jennifer looks at the wine and compliments Herb It actually is a fine French wine I told the guy to give me the best he's got in the store Without going over 14 bucks (laughs) $13.99 Jennifer tells Herb to come on in And make himself comfortable Jennifer walks over to fix a couple of cocktails As Herb heads to the dining table. He sits very stiffly in a chair, his overcoat still on. Jennifer turns toward the living room to ask him what he would like to drink. She notices he's at the dining table. (laughs) Perhaps you'd be more comfortable in the living room. Herb agrees and begins walking to the couch. Jennifer asks what he'd like to drink. Got some bourbon. I do. Would you like anything with it? Oh, some nuts, I guess. Straight bourbon at room temperature. But I don't think he realizes he asked for a straight bourbon. No, he's all confused. He is. Herb takes off his overcoat, and we see his evening ensemble for the big date. This outfit has a vaguely nautical feel, and actually it looks kind of cool, so no fashion alert here. It looks like he's about to get on a yacht. He's got on white pants, a pale blue dress shirt with a white collar, a dark blue jacket, white shoes with white socks, and that that white effect with the white legs then into the white socks and the white shoes gives his legs this really long look. Yes, it does elongate them. And he's got a blue ascot tied around his neck. Herb sits on the couch with his overcoat in his lap, and he starts to hyperventilate. Jennifer brings him a drink, asking if he's okay. He holds up his hand in his Give me a minute gesture as he's trying to catch his breath. In this scene, we get so much great physical comedy from Frank Bonner. Herb finally gets control of his breathing. Jennifer, seeing that Herb is okay, sits in the chair across from him. They each give a little toast in the air and take a sip of their drinks. Herb begins coughing and struggling to breathe again. His face is turning red. He points to the glass. This is straight bourbon. Jennifer tells him that's what he said he wanted. (laughs) They sit in silence for a few minutes. Then Herb jumps up and begins pacing around, holding his overcoat. Herb's manic. He walks around. He's commenting on things all over the apartment. He's a nervous wreck. 
Then he spots the piano and goes over to it. This giant grand piano. He says, it's black. Yeah, we got that. Jennifer says she knows. Herb says, most pianos you see these days are brown. You play? No. Good. (laughs) Now, we wanted to know what was going on with the piano color mention. Herb's right. Uprights and spinets, the smaller ones, often are brown. Concert grands and baby grands will usually either be black or white. No one knows exactly why, but there are several plausible explanations out there. The most common reason black goes with about anything, and it works well in a formal situation like a concert. Black is also good for the budget. Of all the possible color options offered by piano manufacturer Steinway, black lacquer is the cheapest. A satin ebony Steinway concert grand runs about $157,000. That same piano in mahogany is $25,000 more. Herb walks over by Jennifer and stands. Jennifer is drumming her fingers on the glass. Herb's rocking back and forth on his feet. He unbuttons his jacket. Jua, join me on the couch? Jennifer walks over to the couch. Herb is just manic. Once again, he starts to hyperventilate, and Jennifer asks Herb if he'd like to lie down. Where? Well, on the couch or in the bedroom. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, mentioning the bedroom makes Herb's breathing even worse. He grabs the paper bag that the wine came in, holds it up to his mouth and nose, and starts breathing into it. And what makes this even funnier is it's a wine bag, so it's this big, long bag, and he's still hugging his overcoat. Now, we were curious about breathing into a paper bag. This is one of those sitcom treatments for anxiety. There is some underlying science, but it doesn't work very well. It looks funny, which is why it shows up in sitcoms. The theory is when you hyperventilate, you lose CO2 in your blood. It's not a lot, but you do need some CO2 in your bloodstream to keep you calm. Breathing into the paper bag is supposed to return CO2 to your bloodstream to calm you down. Outside of movies and TV, paper bag rebreathing rarely works. Plus, it can be dangerous. Symptoms of other serious illnesses like heart attacks can sometimes appear to be hyperventilating. In those cases, restricting oxygen flow will actually make your situation worse. Herb gets control of his breathing. I'm not doing this very well, am I, Jennifer? You're doing just fine. Oh, no, I'm not. Upset and embarrassed, Herb goes back to the dining area and sits, his back to Jennifer. This is some nutty directing on the part of Will McKenzie to block him with his back to the audience and actually doing lines with his back to the audience. It is funny, but some crazy blocking. I want to be so cool about this tonight, but I can't. I mean, I, I, I fantasized about how this whole night would be. I mean, it was so nice. You were you and I was, I, I don't know, somebody else saying and, and doing all the right things instead of hyperventilating and sweating. (laughs) I'm sorry, perspiring. Herb is very animated during this speech. His arms are flying in and out, and even with his back to us, we can see how upset and passionate he is about how he feels. Jennifer tells him not to put himself down. Jennifer tries to help Herb save some face here. She says they just don't have the right chemistry for things to work out. That's what it is. Herb tells her it's his fault and he's just so stupid. No, it's not you. It's 
It's us. I bet you're pretty suave around your wife. Sure, of course. See, that's why that relationship works. Herb says he'd rather not talk about his wife. He is feeling pretty guilty. Jennifer tells him not to feel guilty. We're just two good friends getting together for a few drinks. Nothing more? She shakes her head no. Herb asks Jennifer if she said she'd go out with him just to call his bluff and get him off of her back. Well, I can't say the thought hadn't crossed my mind. Herb tells her it worked. Oh, it did it. Realizing Herb's feelings have been hurt, Jennifer goes on. Then I thought, why, this guy Herb, he's a pretty handsome man. And he's obviously crazy about women. So it would be only natural if I were a little more than interested. But he's not mine. He belongs to another woman. So I I thought, well, maybe I could just share his company a little. And if I can't have him any other way, then maybe I'll have him as a very dear friend of mine. This isn't so bad. Herb smiles. Sometimes, you know, I I just like to, to be with a woman, you know, without pulling anything. Jennifer takes her by the hand. Why don't you take me out to dinner? I'd be delighted. She says her wrap is in the bedroom. Herb heads that way, but that might be a little much. He can't seem to make it all the way there. You'd better get it. As Jennifer passes Herb on her way back to the bedroom, she gives him a sweet little kiss on the cheek. I really like the way Jennifer handled this whole situation when she realized Herb was feeling embarrassed and she let him down easy, but in a very respectful way. She could have really kicked him while he was down. He was weak and panicking. Mm -hmm. Jennifer's got a heart. Well, this kiss on the cheek, it brought her back to the old Herb. He gets this I'm so cool expression on his face, raises one eyebrow, wads up the paper bag and tosses it into the fireplace. Then he shakes out his overcoat, gives it a sharp flip and puts it over his shoulders like he had done at the station. Although this time it's wrong side out. He sips from his glass of straight bourbon. Don't fool with me, boy. We go to our capper scene in the lobby. Art enters and asks Jennifer if there's anything he needs to deal with. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. Art heads into his office asking that he not be disturbed. He sees Johnny over at the coffee pot and he asks him if he's feeling better. Oh, uh, yeah, thank you. I had about uh, 17 hours straight sleep. I think I'm seeing what I'm supposed to see. Again, we hear Herb before we see him enter. Oh, so changing. Try and please me. He's singing Just the Way You Are by Billy Joel. He enters the lobby and Jennifer sings the next line back to him, smiling. You've never let me down before. You were terrific last night. You too. Thanks for the drinks. My pleasure. Mr. Carlson and Johnny are standing in front of the filing cabinets, dumbfounded. Johnny is thinking that his flashbacks have returned, and Mr. Carlson begins to closely study his hand. He goes into his office and closes the door. Johnny stands for a bit. Then he heads out the door going to the studio, raising his hand, palm up, and he leads with it out the door. That song Herb and Jennifer were duetting on, Just the Way You Are, was a huge hit for Billy Joel. It peaked at number three on the Hot 100 in February of 1978. Don't go 
The song is about Joel's first wife and manager at the time, Elizabeth Weber. He said he never liked the song, and his band at the time didn't like it either. He wasn't even going to include it on his fifth studio album, The Stranger, until Linda Ronstadt told him he should. She was recording at the same studio he was and heard the track as Joel was working on it. In 1979, the single won Record of the Year and Song of the Year at the Grammys. Joel and Weber divorced in 1982, which made the song a painful reminder of his failed marriage. Joel stopped performing it live in about 1986 and didn't perform it live again for more than 20 years. That's going to do it for Put Up or Shut Up, another great Herb episode and a wonderful tribute to the memory of Frank Bonner. Next week on July 6th, we're taking the week off for the holiday. We will be running a re-release of our most popular episode so far, and we've got an important announcement about the show. Then, the next week, on July 13th, we'll be back with an all-new episode. And what's our episode, Donna? The Americanization of Ivan. A member of a group of hog experts visiting from Russia informs the radio staff that he wishes to defect. Despite Les's staunch position on communism, the group works to help the Russian citizen to defect while in Cincinnati. That's all for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. Find us on social media. You can follow our Facebook page at WKRP cast. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us WKRPcast at gmail.com. And please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. May the good news be yours. The WKRPcast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!